I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Lisko. I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your normal host, an enormous monstrous mother. And uh, I, there's a lot of monstrous mothers of late. I just feel in, as as a mom, feeling it. Just well, yeah. It is funny. You don't. Uh, first and foremost, let me introduce our guest, Jill. Kr- it's Krajewski. I hope that I didn't fuck that up. It's it's Krajewski. So close. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Um, I Jesus, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> freelance freelance writer for Vulture, New York Magazine, Spin, Pitchfork, and perhaps most importantly, fellow Torontonian, um, is here to talk with us today about. Oh, don't don't give that look. You'll Emily. Have, listen, listen. You know what? You listen. 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 It's rare that I get to listen. do that. I never have gotten to say a fellow South Dakotan. That is not have a thing we? that has ever happened. Yeah, I was gonna wait, s- wait a minute. My wife is one. So we'll have her on. I'll describe Absolutely. her as that. I'll be like, that's the most important thing. Fellow South uh, Dakotan. It is most important to me in this moment. Um, but I, what I was going to say to piggyback on what you were saying, Emily, you very, because there's a lot of male filmmakers that are all dealing with mommy issues. I'm assuming that's why we have mothers that are monsters as opposed to fathers that are monsters. I don't see a lot of father monsters. You know what? Um, if if we do, they tend mm. to be like human size. They tend to be like the yes, stepfather, yeah. Terry yes, O'Quinn. Yes. They tend to be like just bad, abusive dads. Bad it's just like, yeah. I had an abusive dad and I'm just going to make you look at him for a while. Whereas right. all the mother movies are like, what if my mom could put me back inside of her? Um, so we're talking about uh, brain dead slash dead alive. I, I figure we should just call it brain dead since that's, you know, oh, yeah. it's, home, it's home country. Uh, but Jill, I reached out to you. Uh, this was one of your first picks and I kind of want to know your history with it. When did you see it? Did it, I mean, clearly this is, as you mentioned, one of your favorite horror films, but when did you, what's your history with the movie? 
Absolutely. I first saw Brain Dead at the impressionable age of 17. I was in my first year of university, as we say in Canada, uh, the first year of university. And I wasn't even taking film, but uh, college is just such a nascent time of, oh, this isn't part of your worldview yet. This cultural totem to me is not part of your, you're not quoting it every day yet. Oh, let me show you the way. And so my dear friend in university, Steve Huffman, said, my film 101 class, we're watching Brain Dead tonight. You have to come with me. And so I just like super keener, went along to film 101, even though I wasn't taking it. And it was just like this zombie comedy mecca at a time very ripe for zombie movies like Shaun of the Dead, sure. uh, The Walking Dead TV series uh, and graphic novel it just it just struck such a chord with me. Uh, I was just hooting and hollering over all of this impeccably crafted gore and foley artistry. I mean, I, I hope this movie is as heralded not just by horror fanatics, but in practical effects. Because oh holy God. shit, I yeah. I and so at seeing this movie at seventeen um, earlier on in the pandemic when everyone was once again in that. Oh my God, you have to see this movie to forget about the world. This movie, this movie. I took it upon myself to be the Steve Huffman to a group of friends over Zoom. And I was like, it's a, it's Peter Jackson, you know, Lord of the Rings, like kind of like willfully misleading them. You lied. You lied. Yeah. You, lied. You... yeah. you just, you... <laughs> just like you the lie. mom lied. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing about that kind of hit me about this movie is that I was a little, I know that there's, there is a, a large fan base for this film. It, it has a, a sort of diehard cult status. At the same time, you know, we did Army of Darkness a few weeks ago. And, and obviously there is this kind of evil dead vibe to it. I mean, just sort of that, the, the manic camera angles. I mean, I think this entire film is shot with a wide, wide angle lens. Um, but, but I just, the, it's interesting that evil dead, which is obviously, a few years previous has sort of more love, I would say to some degree than this film. Um, But they're both such big filmmakers. They both sort of are playing in the same sandbox. This film just doesn't seem to get the same amount of, of of talk that that the evil dead movies get. Um, I just, I'm sort of curious as to why you think that is. That also uh, struck me when I was rewatching brain dead. Uh, I went on an evil dead tear earlier on in the summer and caught up on everything except for evil dead rises i still need to see it but uh it struck me that oh sam raimi like my introduction to him was of course like the toby Maguire spider-man movies and then for peter jackson to come to the fore internationally for the lord of the rings adaptation and now he's done the the remastered beatles documentary get back it's hysterical that each of these hollywood directors got started in very gory scrappy horror but also I've had this conversation a lot recently, like about the rise of horror recently or the Renaissance, or at least this like very fertile creative period for horror right now. And a lot of it comes from if your idea is so good, if your script is so tight, you don't need that huge cast, huge budget to really have word of mouth. Uh, For Evil Dead, I think it definitely benefited through the staying power of Bruce Campbell as just becoming a cult icon in and unto himself. Whereas uh, the the talent in Brain Dead, they just haven't had that quippy one-linery 
uh, sort of and it didn't, uh, etching. And it didn't create a franchise is, is kind of the thing too, I imagine to some degree. I mean, the Evil Dead movies, um, you know, th- their success is, you know, uh, kind of all over the place. The first one, obviously very small. The second one, a huge cult classic, Army of Darkness, as we talked about, was not a gigantic success. It was successful enough. Um, and then obviously, you know, you've had these two kind of reboot revivals. Um, Brain Dead was kind of a one-off thing, understandably, because I don't ultimately know how you go back into this world necessarily. But, um, I, I, you know, this was the first time that I had seen this. It's also the, the only one of this early Peter Jackson kind of trilogy of horror films that I've seen of his. I haven't seen Meet the Feebles. Um, he, I, I mean, <clears throat> I was introduced to him um probably with the frighteners is my guess i that think makes sense yeah did you not did you not watch heavenly creatures i have moment? i saw that after i yeah. saw frighteners weirdly uh, i is, saw that on video because for some reason i was very drawn to a story of two teenage girls who, who had a murderous I mean, crazy. <laughs> but i i mean i would i mean listen i i love the lord of the rings films um, they're kind of in a thing all to themselves to a certain degree. Um, it's hard to sort of separate what movie of the six, you know, I, I, I probably lean towards fellowship, but I think that Heavenly it's, Creatures pro- it's maybe- probably the Hobbit, the desolation of smog. I, I've heard yeah, you talk I mean, about that so many times. Ben- Benny the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I couldn't. I hated the the Hobbit the movie. Hobbit movies, I read yeah. the book when I was eleven, and I was like, "Where's the humor? Uh, yeah, like yeah. I, these like ogres in the forest are supposed to be goofy. Why are they supposed to be like prestige, like CGI? <laughs> no, these are supposed. It was supposed to be a children's book, and it just got way too it serious. Sh- it should have been adapted like the BBC Chronicles of Narnia series. It should sure, have just sure. been like puppets and shit. And like if Guillermo del Toro had done it, I imagine yeah. there would have been some. Of that. It still would have been bloated because they were going to make two films and i get it the book is like the book is full of incident but like not like plot so like you kind of have to adapt all the daring escapes or whatever um i like the i kind of like the first one and just because it's like an hour and a half of people sitting around eating and singing and it's like cougar town in middle earth and then they go (laughs) on an adventure i'm like why are you leaving I never saw the third one, quite honestly. I, I saw the first two, and then I was like, I think I'm good. You and the third, see one, the third one, Phil. Do what I? What if it turns you all around on it? Uh, no, it's the worst of them. <laughs> Although, I, I wrote at Vox at the time that it was the best of them, and that's why really? I got fired from Vox. <laughs> oh, God. You're I on mean, the wrong I, side of history. <laughs> I do think that Peter Jackson is kind of one of those guys, though, that, you know, in that kind of james cameron way of like he kind of can do whatever the fuck he wants at this point and he's decided that he wants to just remaster old beatles documentaries for uh which is great i mean i i, I thought uh, get back was wonderful but um have you, seen, one- have you yeah. seen his world war one doc it's so good I oh, it's that's fantastic. I, uh, I, I doubled back uh, once I lured my parents to watch Get Back over the holidays with me. I was like, hey, you like war stuff, right? How about remastered war stuff? And it was it was stunning. The, the level of technology available now. Oh, my God. Like, just yeah. think of how much the, the mother's womb sequence could be done now in HD. <laughs> Perfect. I, would, I, think, I, mean, yeah. I think that, like, he got so burnt out on making those Hobbit movies. If you watch the special features, he was just like, I'm going to chill and make documentaries. I'm like, you know what? 
I really like I'm just going to skip ahead to my point from the end of this podcast. Evidently, I, I think he needs to make a thing like this again. I don't know how possible it is. You know, Sam Raimi could go back and do drag me to hell. But mo- it's very hard for a director to get back in the mode they were in as a young as a young guy or a young young woman. And it's yeah, it, there there is a thing with Peter Jackson where every time he tries to do something like his early career, he just overloads effects on it. I think because like Weta cool. is partially dependent on him. So I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, I I think that he absolutely got burned it on the Hobbit films, and they're also not particularly beloved. Like people were not happy with the way that they turned out. But I I would argue that I actually think Lovely Bones was a real breaking point for him. Um, a movie that when he announced it, I was like, oh great, he's it this is like heavenly creatures. Like we're gonna go back to that sort of grief and 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 I, that movie yeah. is a disaster. I think it was a breaking point for audiences who were already sure. trying to like on King Kong sure. were already I love King Kong. I like it too. Great. But like I I think audiences were a little why is this a 3-hour movie about a giant monkey? I am not Peter Jackson and don't care that much. I think the lovely like bones he's Stephen McKinley Henderson in Lady Bird. He's just like they didn't understand it. I think he has affection for that movie. I think he does not care about the Hobbit movies well, at all. I, I mean, The Lovely Bones, we did an episode, um, Kenny and I, for our 2009 Patreon podcast on it. And it was one of those things that we were all kind of in, in dismay that that all these things had kind of gone wrong with this, a book that was really beloved. I never read the book. I don't know if you guys ever read Lovely Bones. Can't say I have. <laughs> yeah, it's did, good. Did you fine. like it, Joe? It's fine. Oh no, I cannot say I have. Uh, apparently, oh, I'm not into. I'm not into bones. <laughs> sorry to Emily De Chanel. <laughs> have you wait? Have you seen the movie The Lovely Bones, or or have you not yeah. seen the movie either? You're you're fine. You don't need to see it. Uh, I mean, p- point is, ultimately, I think that it's really kind of after the enormous success of Lord of the Rings, he kind of has two blank checks to kind of do whatever he wants. Right. And he decides that he's going to go all in on King Kong, his favorite film as a child, which is a great movie. The original's great. I like his remake. And then he decides that he's going to try to do, I guess, an Oscar friendly sort of thing. And it's just an absolute disaster on, on so many levels. Uh, but Sir Ronan, great as always, but yeah, I think that, mo- that movie comes so close to working too. Like it's, it's not even it like uh, when you're watching it, it's disastrous. And then when you think about it for five minutes afterward, you're like, Oh, that could have worked with this and this tweaked. Right. If Ryan Gosling, if, if he had stuck around, you know, and if they had yes. not, if they had made the afterlife slightly more abstractionist, or then just you, or you quite frankly, just tactile, guests. yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it turns into. Did you ever see what uh, what dreams may come? You ever see that fucking yeah. the Robin yeah. Williams afterlife mm-hmm. movie? It felt very similar to that. But all that being said, I love it. I love. Well, I loved it at the time. I haven't revisited sure. it. <laughs> But with Brain Dead, and you go back to sort of the, this, this, this sort of this tactility and this practical effects and this like three million dollar budget, and you're just sort of like there's this. It, it's so vibrant and it's so filled with. Same with Heavenly Creatures, which comes after this film, in terms of like all of those effects are also stop motion and claymation, and and it all just feels like, you know, it exists in their world, and I think that's so important. And you know what? That honestly draws out better visceral reaction as a viewer. And then performances among the actors. I'm a big fan of Corridor Crew. Uh, they're a VFX uh, collective, and they do this great VFX artist react series on YouTube. And time and time again, whenever they've broken down that a great scene is done, 
uh, by reacting to something in the real world versus say the Jurassic Park uh, reboot with Chris Pratt where they're just <laughs> reacting to like, oh, look at that ball. Oh no. <laughs> it's You see it in the performances and it makes for worse off movies. So I am pro practical effects all the way uh miniatures pro miniatures like i don't want to see a blue screen on my movies i just want to see what's real as you were speaking to what's visceral i think what's fascinating not to keep harping on his career but what's fascinating is that tactility exists in the lord of the rings movies and it exists in kong and then he just stops being able to do it very abruptly some seemingly like like in kong you do feel like you could reach i think that maybe because circus was on sets they were like playing off of him but yeah it's uh it's weird i think there's also something to be said as well for you know there's a limitlessness to computer generated effects which i imagine is very enticing right which is I can have anything I want whenever I want. I can change it. I can, I can delete. You know what I mean? Like it's just, there's, there's a, there is a flexibility to it that I think on top of it being cheaper that I think filmmakers are drawn to. But I think that ultimately what's great about these practical effects too, is you're forced into it, right? Like it is putting a kind of a gun to your head and saying like, this is the way it has to be. And I think that, you know, you, you have to just fully commit to it in a way that I don't think you do with special effects with, with uh, it, visual effects. It can be messy. And you yeah. know what? Uh, real life zombies are messy. It's important <laughs> for accurate zombie representation. And I totally agree. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm going to give a little bit of context for our listeners who might not have seen this film. Overprotected mother Vera Cosgrove, played by Elizabeth Moody, spying on her grown son Lionel, played by Timothy Baum, uh, as he visits the zoo with his lovely Paquita, Played by Diane uh, Penalva, Penalver, uh, is accidentally bitten I believe by. It's Penalve. My apologies. Thank you. I, that, that's it. just my assumption from knowing many I years of Spanish that. class. <laughs> Uh, is accidentally bitten by the fearsome uh, Sumatra rat monkey. When the bite turns his beloved mother into a zombie, Lionel tries to keep her locked safe in the basement, but her repeated escapes turn out uh, turn most of the neighbors into the walking dead, who then crash a high, so- high society party is a little bit. But anyway, um, thrown by Lionel's boorish uncle, Les. Braindead opened in Australia and New Zealand on August 13th, 1992, and in North America under the title Dead Alive in February of 93. It would go on to make $242,000 on a $3 million budget. Uh, it has 89% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 86 from audiences. Uh, Variety gave the film a positive review, saying Jackson's best film to date. Uh, Kiwi gore specialist Peter Jackson, who goes for broke with an orgy of bad taste and splatter humor. Some will recoil from the gore, but Braindead wasn't meant for them. And then Braindead placed uh, number 91 on a top 100 list produced by Time Out Magazine after conducting a poll with several authors, directors, actors, and critics who worked within the horror genre. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this movie... Number one for what? Hmm? Number one for what? Oh, it's a, a list of horror films, I believe, uh, of the of all time. Oh, okay. All right. I liked this movie, but come on. I mean, 91... I mean, oh, I, I thought you said number. I heard number ninety-one. One. Okay, no, 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 right. no, no. ninety-one. Yeah, fine. in Perfect. that case, ninety. I don't know. For me, it could creep. It up might be higher. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it higher than ninety-one. A sliding scale, like no, boo. Oh, oh. I think if they did that today, who knows? I mean, Emily, I know you're a big horror person. I am mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. Um, and I know that. Uh, I lean more towards this type of horror film because it allows me to 
have fun and not actually be scared. Um, but how does this rate for you? I don't need you to rate it in terms of horror of all time, but like, where does this fall for you in terms of uh, the horror genre? Funnily enough, I think it's the 91st best horror film of all time. No, uh, I, I, I like, I like this movie. I like the evil dead movies. The only one of them I truly love is evil dead too. Like in this style, sure, sure, sure. there's something about it that I find exhausting. Like it is throwing things at you so much. And honestly, after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of me complaining about movies that do not remind me of you know my life and where i grew sure. this movie reminded me so much <laughs> like when you said you were like i don't know if that's a list that is a high society party my friend that is how is it? It, yeah it's it's a you know it's it's a cool chill party with with the 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 like like patriarchs and matriarchs of the town or whatever sure and sure. it's uh yeah i i liked this movie a lot while also being like at the hour mark i was like how much of this do i have left and i was like a half a half hour more and yeah i i can't but, even but i would entirely... argue the best half hour oh sure like i was never not entertained i was just like there's no tonal variance in a movie like this right, right uh, and right, that right. kind of that kind of just eventually bounces me off of it a little bit i also didn't but also i also didn't like mad max fury road that much the first time i saw it i had to see it like wow. three four times because I, I really i really struggle with just like constant things happening and now that's one of my favorite movies ever so i do think for what it's worth <laughs> you also named another australian filmmaker or from the region of that of the planet i do think that you know we talked um baz Luhrmann on our uh strictly ballroom episode and i and i think that you know those the, the australian films that tend to travel over here and make it over here tend to be the noisiest you know what i mean the ones mm-hmm. that are the most kind of chaotic or or, or manic um so I totally hear you that like that can I personally enjoy it, but I agree with you that like they can overstay their welcome. I would argue that, that the three films we're talking about in terms of Strictly Ballroom, this film and, and even Fury Road are all relatively short. So like what's, they don't overstay their welcome. What's so <laughs> fascinating about New Zealand film is that Peter Jackson's like the guy who does this. And you got like Jane Campion and Lee Tamahori and uh, Nikki Caro, who are all very different like very contemplative much like they are making movies that feel in touch with rural cinema from other parts of the world so like that's a like interesting wrinkle here is that peter jackson is just like bonkers but kind of sui generis bonkers what were you gonna say joe oh i was gonna say uh anything but baz lerman's australia i that is the one thing i will never touch again (laughs) the one plane movie i actually turned off in the plane because it was too much oh so you're not a baz fan i am a baz fan this is the thing like of of course like doing musical theater i ate Mm. up romeo and juliet and moulin rouge but as australia was just like very the bloated passion project haunts every prestige director doesn't it though like it is interesting how i mean that film also um we talked about this, touched on this a little bit in our Strictly Ballroom episode, but, you know, he almost did a Alexander the Great film uh, with Nicole Kidman and, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And then Oliver Stone beat him to the punch, essentially, and got his to the screen faster. And thus we got Australia instead, which, I mean, is just unfortunate because uh, his Alexander the Great movie would be interesting, if nothing else. 
but I, uh, uh, are you excited for six hours of Australia, Jill? He's just Baz is like the problem. Yeah, Hulu's with this, giving us the problem with this movie is there's not enough you of it, more. and he's just like hitting the throttle. He's just like, we're gonna oh, absolutely. He uh, baz too hard. He baz too close to the sun. What if that fixes it? What if six hours is the right length for Australia? It's like a hope series, so. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is interesting though because I do feel like. Um, speaking of sort of very successful filmmakers that get opportunities to sort of make the big thing. I mean, Peter Jackson, obviously, I mean, I would argue I like Return of the King. It's certainly my, my least favorite of the three. It's the one that feels like it has 15 endings. It feels bloated. And the extent- as we know, I, I genuinely, genuinely last year, I rewatched all three of them. I would say Return of the King is still my least favorite, but I, it moved so much up in my estimation. Now, I think it I ruins say, all those endings. So, I, I, I watched the extended cuts during the pandemic and was blown away by the extended cuts of all of them. And I would argue might be the only time I can point to extended cuts being better than the theatrical cuts. You should do an extended cut of Brain Dead. He should just be like, here's <laughs> yes. all the stuff. We left on the cutting room, but he'd have to finish with with, with CGI, and that would be a problem. So yes. <laughs> there's so much cutting to to be left on the cutting room floor. I, <laughs> I've been thinking about this question of like yes. why these movies don't haven't held up and not held up, but haven't been um, remembered in the same way as the Evil Dead movies. And I do think the lack of Bruce Campbell and New Zealand aspects are huge hindrances. But I also think they don't feel like they come from the guy who made Lord of the Rings. Now, obviously, they if you watch Lord of the Rings with these in mind, you see all the ways it influenced it. Lord of the Rings has a sincerity and an earnestness to it that the Spider-Man movies don't lack, but that like the Spider-Man movies tone down just enough that you can be mm-hmm. like, yes, Sam Raimi. And also Sam Raimi puts in some really like hardcore horror type sequences as much as he can get away with in a PG-13 in those movies so evil dead feels like it was made by the same guy and this kind of feels like it was made by a guy who just like had a personality transplant in 1999 and i like when you watch it as like a like watching the arc of his career it makes a lot more sense but if you are if you watch lord of the rings and that's your introduction to peter jackson and then you come back and watch this you're like they don't feel like the same guy if anything i think that if anything i think that uh the posters we've seen to a rival of interest in brain dead came from uh the late 2000s that's when i first uh caught wind of it you had not only uh peter jackson's name uh, and status uh ballooning rightfully so after lord of the rings but also uh there's this resurgence in the 2000s of uh zombie lore like you had World War Z or Z appear uh you had uh of course, uh, all of these uh, zombie hallmarks coming to the fore, such as The Walking Dead. I mentioned Shaun of the Dead. Uh, you had, for any gamers, Call of Duty's Nazi Zombies uh, sequence was sure. very big. So there was this, this resurgence of interest in zombies. And The Last and of Us as well. I mean, that, Absolutely. That, that absolutely. Yeah. yeah, even just before The Last of Us, it, it definitely is part of that revival. And my question to all of you would be, why did zombies come back? I mean, that seems to be in their nature, but mm. it, there was this particular <laughs> fixation in the 2000s where uh, something like brain dead, the word of mouth traveled, sure. not just because of Peter Jackson's stature, but... You also had 28 to... Days Later, which felt like it kind of yes. 
opened up that that genre again a little bit i mean emily do you have thoughts um if you look at when brain dead came out in the 90s there's just not a lot of zombie stuff happening and honestly a lot of the other zombie stuff is tonally similar to this like what's the goofiest thing we can get away with you know can we put a a baby in a blender and then the blender turns so fast that it sends the baby skyrocketing to the sky I haven't tried that with my baby, but I doubt it would work. Uh, and I'm not going to try it because I, I like yeah. my baby. Like, not, a wanna, baby. It's not, not a zombie baby. It's not a zombie baby. Um, I think, I mean, there's this hacky thing that often turns out to be true, which is when Republicans are in charge, vampires are popular. And when Democrats are in charge, zombies are popular. And because zombie films tend to, vampire films, not always, but tend to be about a collective gathering to take on the singular, like, like example of a rich person who needs to have a stake driven through their heart. And zombie films tend to be about individuals or small communities taking on just enormous hordes of sure. monsters. And there is a political code to both of those stories, which we might find not particularly flattering, but that's what horror is for, is unpacking the things that are unflattering in our subconsciouses. I don't know if that is completely true. I think it's it's implying causation where there's correlation. But uh, I do think that there was a thing in the late 2000s where it sort of felt like there were just endless amounts of problems and zombies could stand in for any number of them. They stand in for climate change really well. They stand in for you know terrorism really well. They say, yeah, if you are like concerned about if you are a racist, <laughs> zombies yep, stand yep. in. Zombies are just a great all-purpose metaphor in a way that vampires, werewolves, ghosts, etc., often are not. Those tend to be because they've been around so long. Those tend to have like a, a pretty hard and fast correlation in a way that zombies, which are not new, but like our conception of them is pretty new, is pretty post George Romero. In a way, they're a little bit more malleable. Really well said. And there's an intimacy to the zombie as a creature that's very flexible. It makes terror that much closer to home. It could be your own abusive mother. It could be uh, your uh, nurse, uh, the trusty priest, as we've seen, <laughs> the trusty kick-ass priest. <laughs> no, it, it's, it is interesting as well that I feel like there's there's something like biological to the zombie thing that's slightly different than these other manifestations that it, you know, it is kind of a virus, you know what I mean? It less so than, um, you know, vampirism or where, I mean, I guess it's all kind of bite oriented, but I do think that there's something about uh, this person you love potentially turning into a mindless brain-eating machine as opposed to there's still a personality that exists with a werewolf when they're in their human form or or a vampire this they they become this sort of dead-eyed thing um which i think is also part of it there's there's a tragedy especially to werewolves and ghosts and sometimes to vampires vampires are vampires are their own thing we we talked about bram stoker's dracula already (laughs) did there's to zombies the tragedy is like the tragedy recedes. It's a Doppler shift. The person, when the person dies and they get bitten, that's a tragic moment. And then when they turn, that tragic moment just gets further and like it's further in the past. You stop thinking about it and you're just like, I just need to kill this person. Um, my, my, my friend, Matt Zoller Seitz, the, the great, uh, critic, sure. one, I think he wrote this about Walking Dead is like, there is an element to the zombie genre that is like, I want to see a bunch of humans get killed 
in disgusting fashion and still like have it be acceptable you know there is there is the appeal of the snuff film to the zombie film and like i don't think we can i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think that zombie films are again a a healthy way to process this part of our self-subconscious but it, it is present constantly yeah it's i mean there's also something um zombies are like a horde do you know what I mean? Like you generally speaking in these horror films, when it comes to to vampires or werewolves uh, or even ghosts, it's not the same. Like it's, it's a horde of people. It's, it's a mass of people, um, which I think is also um, fun to watch. You know what I mean? When you think about the end of this film and you literally see him using a lawnmower to mow down, you know, dozens and dozens of people um, there, there is, it's just different. I think that with these vampire films and werewolf films, they tend to focus on the Wolfman or Dracula or or the Mummy, right? Like it's a singular entity of sorts. Whereas this is is very different. I mean, I think. I mean, I liked World War Z fine, um, but and and again, you know, to go back to CG and what have you. But like those, the 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 waves of people and the 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 way that they moved in that film was pretty scary. I mean, the idea of hundreds and hundreds of of anything coming at you is is pretty intimidating the other Um, element to zombies that's fascinating is the heroes in these movies if there is any semblance of humanity having hope uh they're also fairly ordinary so you have these ordinary like it's i always love the ten thousand foot view of a horror whether it's grief such as in the babadook or hereditary or here where Someone's escaping an abusive relationship with their overbearing mom. Overbearing would be putting it kindly. Uh, and to have Lionel prevail, uh, like the like the heart of the story is so much more than the 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 scary and gushy, quite gushy evil. And that might be why the zombie movie also has staying power because the the monsters are ordinary but so are the potential heroes and that's that's very inspiring in a way oh what's (laughs) what's fascinating to me is that pre-romero zombie movies tend to be singular it tends to be like a person who's brought back from the dead and kind of stumbles around and it's someone you knew and you're scared of them and so i was like when you were saying that, Phil, I was like, "What's what's a singular zombie movie?" And 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 Jill, I'd love your you to weigh in on this. And I was like, getting excited by the creative prospects of that. And then I realized it follows is a, is a zombie movie, and it's like a single zombie that just takes many forms, which is a really smart way around that problem. And is is actually very. I found that movie very frightening and scary, which is hard for me. But uh, Jill, I'm wondering if you can think of other singular zombie movies post Romero. Oh man, that might be uh, tough for me to scratch. Uh, it follows. That's really smart to think of it as a zombie movie. For me, the ten thousand foot view is uh, like the STI panic, and oh, you have to pass it on mm-hmm. to someone. But I, I totally hear your argument as well. Singular zombie movies. It, it's hard for me to to pick one out. I mean, so often it starts with all you need is just one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is does the ring count? That's more of a ghost story, I think. Is she a ghost? I guess yeah. she's a ghost, right? A lot of J horror is ghosts, and but it's a different sort of a different sense of ghosts than we have in a, in a in an American, American perspective. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, 
the 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 first two evil deads are pretty singular focus mm-hmm. for the most part um mm-hmm. being sort of the cabin in the woods thing and keeping it relatively small i mean it's a small group of people um but i know what you're saying which is that you know i, I think ultimately the thing that um i think is so powerful about all of these characters if it's zombies werewolves or vampires uh is the human that's inside right it's it's this us desperately trying to either save the person that's inside or whatever it is and it's that kind of push and pull where i and and i think what's interesting is that um with zombies the person essentially evaporates almost immediately right like they they they, which i think is the, the tragedy of these situations is that the mother's character in this film vera once she turns or i guess when she dies I, hard, hard to say it's I'm, I'm not really sure but i feel like rules. she turned long ago in the world of the living <laughs> <laughs> i mean touche I, I i think that i mean for me anyway it's sort of the turning point is when she starts to really decompose right when she has those high society people over for for some meal of some sort for dinner or whatever and her skin is peeling off and it's um and and she's clearly starting to lose her faculties and her functions and what have you um that's kind of the moment i think because then she dies shortly thereafter and obviously resurrects but um yeah the 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 vera character is kind of fascinating to me in this in the sense that she starts from a place of kind of sublimating her son and i guess not wanting him to be happy and certainly not wanting him to be with paquita which i really don't know why i mean is this is this a class distinction is there something going on there is there something in terms of the the race i think there's a there's a racist element to it she's um romani and uh this film has some interesting depictions of the romani like this film is very this film is very tapped into the racist nature of the tropes it's depicting and is still like well we know what we're doing so we can like like lean into that and that's only really in the first 15 minutes so it's you know it's easy to get past it but it does it is present it is a thing that like hangs over the rest of the movie but yeah i do think it's it's a race and class thing you know she's not the good perfect white new zealand girl that uh vera would have him marry phil have you seen Bo is afraid oh gosh i haven't i'm still stealing myself but not yet you should you should see it's not it's not scary genuinely like there there are there are moments in it that are horror adjacent but it is just a wild time i think i genuinely think you would get something out of it i don't know if you would like it but i think you would be like well i did that I did I very much yes, love Midsummer, so I do trust Ari Aster yeah. uh, to a degree. Midsummer, Let's yeah. see. Midsummer's I have not seen any of ever. Ari's films yeah. yet, uh, and I know that I know Emily that you're a big uh, Midsummer fan, which I fully intend on watching one of these days. I think you could watch Mid- Hereditary is the one where I'd be like, Phil, no, never do it. Uh, absolutely, never do it. <laughs> Midsummer is very palatable and it also follows a uh, kind of like classic horror movie pacing in the sense that it's like the first act and part of the second act are the build, the build. And Brain Dead very much does the same thing where mm-hmm. you don't get like uh, a head in a washing machine like right in the first 20. Like you're, it's all of this table setting. And that's what makes these like slight distinctions that oh something's a bit off now it's just such a satisfying uh 
delayed gratification. Midsummer very much had that, just so much uh, laying the scene. And then, oh, helped question mark. Where have all my friends gone? Ah, like it, it just made that so much more satisfying rather than if it just started with one of the friend's murders. Also, it's a classic trans text, as we all know. It's just, uh, um, I, uh, yeah, I wrote an oh, article okay. about this, Phil. I, you got, you should I believe you. To, you. I just you didn't know, know that that was a take. You need to read everything I write, Phil. I can't believe you don't. Um, the, uh, another thing that, that Ari Aster and Peter Jackson have in common is they're both very funny. And all of Ari Aster's films are hilarious. You know, they have really big, like scary moments in them, but they're so funny. Same here. And I think if I'm thinking back to our question about why this seemed to spike in the late 2000s, it's because that's when horror is at its grimmest. That's when horror is so influenced by the policies of the George W. Bush administration, by torture, by this sort of sublimation within the American it's psyche. This is American remakes, horror. Yeah. And obviously remakes, remakes of Japanese horror, for sure. Yeah. Ringu, the, the torture porn. Stuff yeah. Seems to also the, so the people saws like, and the, the yeah. fucking... You know, people were looking for other kinds of things. And like, obviously, they found zombie movies have traditionally had a satirical streak to them. Not all of them do, but it's really baked into what Romero was doing. And Romero is kind of who everyone's riffing on. So, yeah, this is this is a a very gory zombie movie, but it's also a very deep satire on like the kinds of small towns that Peter Jackson was familiar with and that resonate heavily with like where I grew up. Absolutely. Uh, especially the, no pun intended, the reverence given to the, the church and in particular the priest. It's almost like, of course, that's one of my favorite sequences. I kick ass in the name of the Lord. <laughs> or I kick ass it's, for the Lord. It is a it is a great sequence. And I, I it does feel reverent to a certain degree, right? Like th- there's sort of a playfulness. Um, but that's only kind of that. Is that the that's the only kind of religious element that exists in this right because that the 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 whatever you would call it the medallion the thing that he that he sort of uses um is that what is that is there some sort of religious connotation to that oh you must have missed the scene where jesus came back and was like phil i'm the original zombie and i can kill anyone with my with my with my medallion you missed that scene I did miss that scene. It looked the the medallion looked almost like the the headpiece from Raiders I love that in this scene I made up, Jesus is addressing you for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. (laughs) But I, 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 the only reason I asked, and I, because I know that the grandmother gives him the the medallion as sort of a a, to protect him. Um, But I couldn't. I I just wasn't sure about like the actual kind of religious connotation. I think it's a. I think it's a pretty classic trope that they're playing off, which is when you are in a situation like this, Christianity will not help you, but folk religion will. Ah, ah. So you know the Romani people or um, this grandmother who's in in touch with some older folk belief that perhaps is better suited. Yeah, Yeah, because again, if there's an intimacy to zombies, there's an intimacy to folk religion that there just Mm -hmm. isn't in a massive institution like the church. Um, On the other hand, you know, if you're in an exorcist movie, then get thee to a Catholic church immediately. (laughs) That's the one loophole. (laughs) It is is interesting. I, I, you know... What I appreciated about this film, and one of the very one of the many things that I think is fun about it, is that it's playful about all of this stuff. And and as gory as it is, and it is very gory, and we will talk about the the gore in terms of sort of the the back half of the film in a second. But I I just 
the movie immediately is having fun from and and whether or not and i don't mean to suggest that the the the, i guess cultural appropriation of these this tribe or whatever you want to call it at the beginning of this film uh is is okay but the zaniness of what's going on tonally is immediately sort of setting this sort of um stage for a film that's going to be really out there He's riffing on the original King Kong there, you know, like yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that's it's, it's Skull Island. Yeah. It's Skull Island and it's the 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 natives of Skull Island are depicted sure. similarly to that film. And you can tell the actors are having fun with it. Yeah. You know, like I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say this is the most evil a film has ever perpetrated. It's just, you know, it it, it was like I was like, "Hmm, interesting. P- yeah, PJ, what's up?" <laughs> um I uh I I I appreciated the sort of the 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 kind of the silliness and the zaniness of the opening. So the film opens in 57 with this zoologist and this team that essentially steal this um rat monkey <laughs> uh in a in a in a <laughs> Jill's shaking her head just being like it was a bad idea guys you should never have stolen the rat monkey. Uh, uh, but also just rat monkey like to say that like rat raped a monkey or vice versa and that's the the seed of all evil that's the that's the oppenheimer moment of this all is this <laughs> deep heart of darkness shit oh it's just so it's so gross and over the top right from that yeah. just origin story they should have dropped in just a couple frames of killian murphy being like i have touched the face of god and i should have not done so <laughs> just just to the couple i i mean the the rat monkey uh, when we finally get to see the rat monkey in all its glory at the zoo, it's amazing. It is a stop motion um, or, or claymation or something to that effect. Um, it, it doesn't even look remotely like plausible, in ter- which, which I think is also setting up or teeing up um, what is ultimately going to become our sort of big bad, for lack of a better way of putting it, which is the mom at the very end, which is this you know gargantuan crazy um i guess puppet is maybe the best way to describe it in terms of how it's actually you know controlled but but this rat monkey looks like something out of like a henry selick movie it, it, it's amazing it reminded like me a, of the baby honestly go ahead mm-hmm. chill it, it the symmetric rat monkey looked like a deep fried gremlin and i'm talking spike gremlin like that thing is just a modicum of flesh on bone the bug eyes oh good eye choreography in this movie (laughs) it's it's and then vera the mother is bitten by the rat monkey but then she kills it just like literally stomps on its head until its eyes pop out and it's just oozing it's I, i do think that as much as i agree with you emily in terms of that the tone of the piece of the film is pretty consistent it does ratchet up well yeah Mm -hmm. you know like it the dials are perfectly kind of turned as the film progresses so that you don't get bored Mm -hmm. um so like this being the first kill you're just like okay so it i would do that too like that's the (laughs) thing i'm like you know what yeah Mm -hmm. sounds like a the right plan uh, one of my one of my favorite subgenres of horror, and there's not enough of it because it's very hard to do without being racist. To be clear, okay. is although, although like a lot of examples now are doing it with um, something 
it's not quite folk horror. It's we live in a place and there is an evil thing in this place and we can't mm-hmm. let it get out of the place. Um, the ruins is maybe my favorite, the book, not the movie is maybe my favorite example of this, where it's like these, these, this tribe that lives in the jungle of Mexico mm-hmm. happens to be around this thing with a murderous plant that if it ever gets out of this clearing, like earth is doomed. So they are like the protectors of the planet okay. in a weird way. And I love, and that's kind of what's going on here. But again, it's very hard to do because you almost have to set it in a very remote place that people don't go to, which means that you're starting to play off tropes about like tribesmen and things like that. So it's very hard to do. Like artifacts and whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, A film I never saw because it sounds far too scary for me uh, is The Descent. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies. Uh, (laughs) Same deal. Same deal. I haven't touched that one. Every time you say a film I haven't seen because it sounds too scary for me, you could say The Descent, which which unnerved me, which (laughs) scared me. Or it could just be like, you know, I I haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors. I think that sounds. I own Little Shop of Horrors and I love it. (laughs) Oh my gosh! I was in Little Shop of Horrors in High School Musical. So which bam. did you which uh, did you play Audrey or? Oh, I played one of the uh, the l- little Miss Capitalists who are like, "You've nice. got a killer plant. I've got a killer business idea." <laughs> which is another theme in these movies. It's oh, we've discovered untapped danger. Well, better charge a pretty penny for yeah. it. <laughs> better make <laughs> money have, off of it. Let's have the yeah. rat monkey in the zoo. What could go wrong? Yeah. When when the enormous Vera is appears at the end, I did have the thought of feed me Seymour. So like it 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 does have similar. that. Yeah. Right. I mean it it it's. Yeah, I, the descent. What I know of it, I think it's it's first of all, it's I'm I'm claustrophobic. So, oh, like, n- the stuff, no the monster, good. the monster stuff in that movie does not bother me as much as the I'm stuck in a cave tunnel. Can I get out? Can I get out? Like That's just the, thinking I mean, about that, yeah. it's awful. It's an awful, awful premise. But this is why I don't go caving. Honestly, who this goes caving? Who but then that? the descent turns out to just be about some guys who live in the cave and just want to be left alone, which we can all relate to. <laughs> that's oh fair. yeah, that's a that's a relatable king. That's true. I there's a line that I really love uh, when um, Lionel and Paquita go to their uh, go to the zoo on their date, and she says, "But we are romantically entangled." Uh, there's something just very cute about. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't know that the characters are necessarily aware of the sort of box that they're in or the trope that they're in, but certainly the writers and the filmmakers are in terms of and you sort of mentioned this earlier, Jill, of how like sweet and lovely and normal these two people are desperately trying to navigate a unbelievably not normal situation. Um, she's so 
sweet and like the performance is so winning they're both really charming um but like i just love how game she is like at a certain point she's just like i guess we're doing this yeah pajita's right there uh killing zombies with the rest of them and i think that this benefits also the fact that one of the co-writers uh is a woman um shoot i don't have her handy but went on to fran walsh Mm -hmm. yeah yes yes and uh fran walsh going on to be a producer on peter jackson's lord of the rings she's Uh, wife she's his partner they have two kids together i don't think they ever got married amazing I think it definitely helps so that you don't end up with like a Bryce Dallas Howard running in heels and in Jurassic Park situation. Yes. Uh, like to actually have uh, a woman go, okay, like what could Paquita do in this situation? The fact that uh, Paquita is not an accessory, but like a key part to like Lionel as well as herself escaping the mother and every sense of the word. Totally. Uh, just, I really, really like how she's, she's written in terms of like her personality. I, I do agree with you, Emily, that uh, there's definitely some, some racial yikes uh, in terms of how the, the Romanis are <laughs> played. Uh, but Paquita as a character herself, I thought was like really like bold, daring, like no damsel in distress at all. There. Would you, as a, and this is a question for both of you guys, um, as a woman, wouldn't Lionel's uh, mommy issues be a red flag for you? <laughs> Just saying. Listen, listen. If a boy <laughs> is, if a boy is consumed by his mother while I'm dating him, I don't have to date him anymore. So <laughs> it's an asset. Literally and figuratively consumed by his mother. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, Jill, sorry, go ahead and, and and answer that question if you will, if you want to. Yeah, would would zombie mom be issues be an issue for me? Um, I guess bigger, the bigger question is: Would you be? Would you date Lionel? You know what? He's got the the casting is right. Where even though he's a doofus who looks like he can be overpowered by his mother, he's got those big poppy dog eyes and that yes. blood covered smile. Mm-hmm. When there's an inner confidence to him, <laughs> I. I think I can fix Lionel. There's like this sub, there's like this, 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 this subgenre of Am I the Asshole post on Reddit, which is a woman being like, uh, My husband and I moved to another country. We've gone no contact with his family. That's how I date Lionel. If we could like move to another country, sure, go sure. no contact with his family. Yeah, he's, he's cute. I'd do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mom, I would say this um, the mom is dead at the end. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. he, it, all it, obstacles it, removed. <laughs> <laughs> Give or there take is, a few lives. Uh, in terms of, of Vera's, um, I, I don't even know, evolution into zombiedom, that there's a there's a shot that that actually like I found maybe one of the most repulsive in the film, which is pulling the dog out of her mouth goes on for so long that I was just like, this is. I mean, it was unbelievable. I don't know how they did it either, quite honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like practically, she she ate her dog, but not all of it. It's so gross. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I also think too that like um, you mentioned earlier, Jill, in terms of like the humor of it. I mean, Vera getting hit by the tram, and then that shot of her just being launched in the air. Like it, it, it is definitely just it's 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 a very silly movie it's having fun with how silly it is absolutely is... go ahead i i really 
if anything, I think that because I enjoy horror, but also deep down, I'm a whittle scaredy cat. I, I like the the ratio of horror to comedy in sure. Brain Dead with uh, Evil Dead too. Uh, of course, the first one was uh, more straight horror, but Evil Dead sure. too. Uh, of course, it has those moments of humor, like Ash saying groovy, but sure. uh, it's by and large terrifying, and it's it's. I, I really love when something is so effective at what it is trying to parody or trying to satirize. And Brain Dead is also that for me, even though it's just like, oh my God, like a zombie baby running around. How how absurd. The fact that I'm, it can still yeah. terrify me is uh, marvelous. I found that Brain Dead walks the line very well. Fuck that I, zombie I, baby. So, I mean, Emily, you have a baby. I do. Not an evil baby, though sometimes I wonder. Did you um the 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 baby stuff in this movie, first of all, somehow they make this baby funny and also terrifying. Mm -hmm. There there is an extended sequence in the park with Lionel just it is comedy gold of him just basically beating the shit out of a baby. Right. And everybody just watching him do so um it is amazing uh how did you feel as a parent watching that did you did you have any sympathy for uh, the situation uh, listen listen i uh uh i think if your baby's evil this is maybe fine All bits are off you know? i i definitely like watched it and was like huh they're beating up a baby um <laughs> it's you know, I, I feel sort of similarly to it as the way that Spielberg always talks about the end of Close Encounters, where he was like, once I was a father, I couldn't have done that. This very much feels like it was made by somebody who hasn't had kids yet. And like, as someone who's had kids, I'm like, mm, you're not quite getting the level of demonic a baby can be right. Let me see. Let's tweak some things here. But then also I'd be like, oh, but I love you. You're my baby. You're the right. best. <laughs> it is. I mean, the comedy of it is very funny. Uh, I mean, it's basically just it's like a, a doll that he's just smacking around that it's a, goes on. It's a Looney Tunes character. You know? It's a Looney Tunes character that they shot over. If I'm not mistaken, it took them like uh, the movie was finished under budget. Uh, they spent two days shooting the park scene with the baby. The uh, baby and- alone. Oh, well, that was well worth it. <laughs> so just the park scene. And and Peter Jackson to this day has said it's still one of his favorite scenes. Which I think one, is amazing. one of the slapstick masterful moments within the zombie park scene is mm-hmm. the fact that Lionel and this zombie baby, he's he's eyeing what appears to be the, the perfect idyllic mother and trying to mimic, oh, like this is what being a good mother is like. Because Lionel doesn't have that reference point with Vera. So Lionel's kind of eyeballing, oh, here's your dolly. And it just backfires on him <laughs> every step of the way. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, it's definitely, I think what's funny about it, obviously, is the physical humor, but it, it's also what you're saying, Joe, which is, and I think maybe Emily, you can uh, relate to this as well as a parent, which is that like, there's no magic bullet. There's no perfect way to be a parent. Um, and when you are a parent, you're desperately searching for, you know, fixes and solves for various things that, you know, and, and so I do think that that mirror that he's doing there is also kind of fun in and of itself, which is that it's in that whole sequence. It's kind of just uh, a commentary on parenthood. It does kind of capture the point where, because the first few months, the baby wakes up every three hours and wants to be fed and that's fine, but the baby is easily confined. 
Now the baby is not as easily confined. And my understanding is it gets worse. Like that's, they gain the more rumor. mobility yeah. as time Correct. goes on. So it does capture that moment when your baby like suddenly can get places and you're like, oh, f- what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> I just leave knives laying around. I can't do that anymore. It's I mean, the baby stuff. I, I think that the the scariest moment with the baby is when it tears open the face. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Oh, that poor little square girl. Yeah, the poor girl who you're just like, is she going to make it? She can't possibly make it. But And then it just, from behind her, burrows through her face and tears her face off. It's an incredible effect. But oh Forget my God, the it's shining. Awful. That's the, here's Johnny. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fantastic. Um, I, I also so we skipped over the the zombies procreating, uh, and by that I mean we get to hear the zombie priest and the zombie nurse having sex, uh, and then the zombie nurse eats the priest's lips. Why not? It's oh, fucked. That's <laughs> a, such a stunning scene to for the prosthetic lip to be the, oh, the off. tearing lips. It's amazing. And, chewed up we get that overhead shot of the nurse yep. chewing up her her lover's lips oh it's god so fucking gross it's uh it's gross um i so okay then there's um there's a moment where lionel thinks that he's poisoning the zombies but he's actually giving them some sort of an animal stimulant uh, <laughs> so then they are all like recharged it's always read the terms and conditions. Always, always read the fine print. Yeah, always read the fine print. The lighting of them coming out of the ground is inc- like there's there's some really really beautiful cinematography in this film. Like I I know we you know we're talking a lot about the the visual effects and the special effects and all this stuff and it all is phenomenal. But if it's lit badly, it'll all look like shit. And the photography is making so much of this thing. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, that, that should be noted, but, um, so he injects them with this animal stimulant. Also, by the way, there's this whole sequence where he's just like essentially, uh, injecting paralysis or, or some sort of a, uh, 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 knocking tranquilizer. them out yeah, tranquilizer right. So he's constantly injecting his mother with tranquilizers to try to get her to, you know, not attack people. The whole scene in the in the morgue when she's just like oozing and exploding as they're trying to like, I guess, embalm her before this funeral. Another great eyeball sequence where they Incredible. have to punch her eye jelly back in. It's it's like a three stooges thing. Uh, it's it's amazing. And then there's the whole sequence in the in the in the cemetery where these hoodlums are there. Obviously, this all place it's all part of the whole the priest beating them up, and then the the we're we're alluded to the mother bursting out of her grave and tearing off the genitals of of a of a guy that's pissing on her grave. I mean, this is shit's crazy. This movie is I just was, absolutely insane. I was just double checking the the editor of this mm-hmm. film where worked with Peter Jackson yeah. on Lord of the Rings won an Oscar for Lord of the Rings. I was just looking that up and I came back and you were like, and bites the genitals. And I was like, right, I'm talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it is it is really fascinating how um you can see like the orcs stuff is not that far removed from the zombie stuff mm-hmm. in this like there is that corollary um but I mean, obviously it doesn't even come remotely close to this this crazy shit the the Ur- the uruk high is especially mm-hmm. like really on on online with that 
this is a director with such attention to detail even when it's for just how much green ooze is enough to come out of this mother's corpse in this a moment. fountain how, how much can we blow up her her little yeah. night dress her little uh i mean piece? this I, I mean the the end of this film apparently 300 liters of blood was used um just and and you know it, it's it is interesting because I do feel like blood is often um, not particularly believable, right? Like there, there's kind of this gradation of how believable do we want the blood to be. And I feel like this movie and those sort of even like uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which is obviously a nod to all those Hammer films, like the blood looks too like much like paint for lack of a better way of putting it. Like, it's a little too red. It's a little too cherry. Um, and this movie goes there, too, in a great way. Like, it's it's all part of the cartoonishness of it and the silliness of it. I think if it all looked like real blood, it would honestly be too much to stomach. Like, I don't think you could actually watch it. Yeah. I uh, I feel like... I feel like they're like Peter, Peter Jackson, if he found, like, an oozing pustule on his arm one morning, he would just be like, I should go to the doctor, but first I got to poke this a little bit to see what happens. <laughs> pokey, pokey. Uh, honestly, as a fellow pustule poker, like I, I, I relate. I get it. That's your TikTok, isn't it? The pustule, uh, the pustule poker. poker. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, reaction. even just, even just a, uh, um, the the mother's wound when we see it for the first time after he sort of like unbandages it, and it 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 looks ridiculous in the best way right like it literally like it's it's almost pulsating it looks like it's some sort it it doesn't none of the like the 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 biological components of this movie are even remotely plausible which is part of why it's great it's It's, so hysterical oh sorry go ahead emily i was just gonna say it's clear phil's never taken a biology class because all of this is very plausible (laughs) if anything i really appreciated the 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 farce of all these zombies trying to eat Lionel's trying to give them their spoonful or yes, uh, yeah. the spoon goes through the back of the yes. gangster's head. Mm-hmm. There's the nurse who's trying to swallow and it just comes out of her oh, slit so throat nice. and Lionel just opens her up to dump it down. Like there's, there's nothing here worth salvaging. And yet Lionel thinks that it's, it'd be more cruel to put them out of their misery than to have them have zombie babies in his house my my favorite thing is the like digestive system that's just like chasing him around that's yeah so I good. Could, it's a character that you literally when it dies at the end and it essentially like looks at itself in the mirror and there's just sort of this like existential thing relatable <laughs> again relatable <laughs> af it's it's there is so much in this film that I mean, it, it was interesting too because I feel like if you look at someone like Tim Burton, who you know, it, it, say you put this film next to a Beetlejuice, which which I guess to some degree that, that you know you, you could, Burton, who never goes even remotely close to this type of shit, right, gets tagged for being like you know too much. Whereas I don't know, like I think about Sam Raimi, I think about this film, I, I love them all for the record, but I just think it's interesting how. Um, you get the impression that some filmmakers wish they could go as far as someone like Peter Jackson goes. It takes real courage to do this type of shit is really kind of what I'm getting at. I think you have to be 
deeply messed up on some level. And I think, I think, you know what? I think if Steven Spielberg was like, I'm going to do the most fucked up shit you've ever seen. And then it would just be like, I don't know, a guy like stepping on like a bug and you'd be like, Steven, well, the bug was, it was a really big bug. And you're like, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But like, like, like you have to, there is a thing about, honestly, I I was thinking about the Coen brothers as well. I think there's a thing where uh peter jackson and sam raimi and the coen brothers are so informed by where they're from and the weird little like incestuous nature of these towns where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's dark secrets and nobody's talking about them that informs them that allows them to get into some really dark and twisted and violent places and tim burton of course has the suburbia thing which is you know its own its own animal sure But, but there is there is that element of you kind of have to have this really dark this really dark stuff to fuel this kind of zany uh zany terror no for Absolutely. sure I, that was the bedrock i'm yes, oh, sorry no no please Jill. go ahead sorry Didn't mean to cut that, oh uh that is what you're getting at emily that's the bedrock of uh my favorite of the new season of black mirror lock henry which is uh not only is it satirizing the the true crime boom but to to what you were saying about if you come from a small town and you know the the deep dark shit, the nasties that people aren't talking about, and yet it's it's deeply affecting everyone, uh, it's it's very cathartic to to produce this uh, exaggerated over the top work to say let's have all the secrets spill out, let's have everyone who's done something bad sure. become bloodied, bloated larger than life forces of evil that we can finally take down versus the people who still act like nobility when they're really not morally. And the thing about um, something like brain dead is it taps into this thing where all of these people have repressed urges, particularly sexual and, and, and violence wise, violence wise. What a way to say that Emily, uh, that they are not indulging. And so when they are given license, they go over the top it really is like, I mean, I think about these movies. I, I do the queer phobia scale every week. And I was like, this movie is kind of about like the manifestation of all these things that these people aren't thinking about, aren't talking about, aren't allowing themselves to take pleasure in. And uh, yeah, I think it's enormously effective in that regard. Like it certainly goes over the top. I just want to shout out. Cause I just keep thinking of like practical effects. I like, I just want to shout out the lady whose head lights up like a jack-o'-lantern. The greatest. Oh. I fucking oh. love that so much. I I mean, I also think it's worth talking about for a second. Cause I, I think that, that, that not that it's a fine line necessarily, but you know, I couldn't help but think about fellow Torontonian David Cronenberg when I was watching this as well, which is, you know, Cronenberg's whole thing is body horror. Now there's a pustule poker. Go ahead. Big oh, time pustule poker. He Loves must be on to pustule poker. Reddit. He's that guy's on Zit Reddit. You can't tell me yeah. Cronenberg's not. But yeah, I mean, he, there is something about, I mean, his whole thing is, it, this vessel we have is disgusting. Like that that's essentially Same. His, his his mantra in all of his films. Whereas I feel like Peter Jackson is like, but look at how fun this vessel is that we have. Look at all the, the things it can do. Um and, and and that's sort of the there's there's a deep sort of like scientific component to to Cronenberg where you're you're feeling which is so unsettling. 
because it feels, I mean, Dead Ringer is obviously being maybe the, the, the most obvious version of that. Um, it, the, the, there's just, I don't know, both of these filmmakers and how they see the human body, I think is fascinating. Cronenberg's version of the digestive system being a character would be so absolutely repulsive. Whereas in Peter Jackson, you're sort of like, oh, poor guy. Like, it's just, I think it's funny. It reminds me of the alien in um, Spaceballs. Hello, yes, yeah, baby. that does the Hello, dance. <laughs> All he's missing is his little hat. It's great. I um, I live with cats. I live with cats. I love my cats. I love I live with cats. I, I I'm a cat centric individual. Um, a cat adjacent individual. There we go. I think uh, if you look at if you look at how a cat is put together, how a cat evolved, mm-hmm. you're like. Okay, perfect. I understand absolutely how this animal came to be this way. If you look at a human body for too long, you're just like, why the fuck do we work? Like <laughs> yes. how we have all these appendages yeah. and yeah. we somehow stay upright, you yeah. know? It's a it's, miracle. And yeah. it's a lot of this has really been underlined for me by having a baby because the baby's born and the head is so huge, the baby can't do anything. And the ba- yeah. like for the first three years of our lives, we have these just enormous heads that we just kind of waddle around with. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's. I, I often have this thought of the fact that my brain is doing what it's doing right now so I can have this conversation with you and move appendages and think the thoughts that I'm... It, it, it's all beyond comprehension. And I just think it's interesting that Jackson thinks that's kind of fun, right? <laughs> Whereas Cronenberg fears it (laughs) so i think there's just i think there's something interesting there um yeah i don't know i i i I think that this movie as gross as it is like there's a i i I tagged you guys and posted that shot of the guy's skin being pulled off of his skull and it's just awesome like you're just like this is just fucking cool and the cut is perfect of the person passing frame so that you don't like it's just it's all just really masterfully done there's a sense of fun to uh the very first evil dead and this being uh an early peter jackson film where you don't have your own legacy shadowing over you you're just really in it for fun odds are you won't win a bunch of oscars Become this internationally Odds. hailed director, have access to the yeah. Beatles archives. Odds are yeah. you're just going to make a really fun movie yeah. in the early 90s. So yeah. it was, it would be, I, I do definitely agree with you, Emily, in wanting to see Peter Jackson go back towards this direction. But I also wonder if, if that, that or as prestige might taint how pure and raw this is. Do you get too rich to make a movie like this? Yeah. You maybe do. Like, um, I, I know this is this is a thing I think about a lot because um, uh, I love, you know, horror, obviously. And like Lily Wachowski uh, famously loves to make dark, bloody horror and like love to make uh, one of the famous unproduced Wachowski scripts is called Cannibal. And it's about what you'd expect yeah. it to be about. And uh, but I'm always like, well, you know, could she go do that? It, do you reach a point where you are too good at what you do? and too successful and have too much money to do something like this. And again, drag me to hell is the one example where Sam Raimi felt like he tapped in to what he was able to do in the past, but also brought all the know-how he'd had since then to it. 
most of the time when a director tries to do something like this, it ends up feeling, it ends up feeling a little bit like your high school reunion, you know, where you're there and you like recognize yourself, but also you're just too changed to really, you know, get there. There are very, very few filmmakers that can, I don't want to say revisit necessarily, but be able to kind of have the same. I mean, I ultimately think that one of the few that can still do it is Scorsese, crazily enough. Like, I think he can still kind of find that crazy. I mean, I, I Wolf of Wall Street, what have you. Like, I do think that he still has that in him, that fire in his belly that I think Raimi was able to tap into. Um, I just don't know that Jackson even has the interest. Like it, it seems to me as though he's just a he's just a full on dad now. Like I just don't know that he that that he's got that that you know. I think you know what he should do is he should find like a like a little cheapy horror novel and just adapt that. Like sure, you know, like um uh um, who's like who's the person I've been reading a lot of, but it doesn't matter. He should find a horror novel and adopt that so that he is like you know, able to tap into someone. I I find a lot of times that helps. I also feel like there was that moment when he was supposed to do a Tintin movie. Um, You know what I mean? Spielberg was going to do one of them and Jackson was going to do, he produced that. And then Jackson was going to do one that Spielberg was going to produce. And I don't know if it's that Tintin wasn't successful enough, even though I do think it actually did make quite a bit of money. But I also, I only say this because I'd be interested to see Peter Jackson off the chain in a mocap situation um i think that could be fun but you know i i, I don't think we're gonna get that either I, if I anything i'm oh, sorry go ahead please go ahead chill uh if anything i'm endeared to see uh even though peter jackson hasn't been able to make the kind of same sense of uh of a movie as brain dead or as you have described it a personality transplant the fact that um he's taken the the editor of brain dead editing lord of the rings that the co-writers of brain dead have produced uh lord of the rings movies one uh, of the screenplay writers went on to co-write the two towers i just quick wikipedia that too Uh, it is it is his partner Yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's fantastic to see that if if the movie has a lot of gravity to it if you still enjoy the process with sure people you've met in childhood or your formative years, young adulthood to then continue to, you're still playing with them, but with the multi-million dollar budgets and Oscars on the line, but there's still, I'd like to think a sense of play as to why people have the same collaborators. You, you have fun. It's make-believe with the same team of people. No, totally. I, I think, I also think we, lest we forget mortal engines. Oh, um Yes. <laughs> Yes. I saw the last showing of that because I was just like, I got to see what this fucking thing is. Uh, I I invited um, my, my art and co-creator, Sarah Golub. We went and watched the Mortal Engines. And I think it was us and one other person in the theater. And when Shrike appeared, I was like, Shrike me, Shrike. daddy. Shrike. <laughs> that movie is fucking bonkers it's great great. but especially it came out in 2018 especially at that point in time it just felt like there were so 
both blockbusters got, had gotten so homogenous and it yeah. felt like that movie had escaped from 2007 and traveled forward in time. <laughs> yes. and I don't want to, I don't know if it's a good movie so much as it was just the movie I needed to see at that moment, but it does have Shrike in it and no movie with Shrike can be all bad. I, so I didn't have the pleasure of seeing it on the big screen. Uh, I watched it, I believe early days of the pandemic is when I watched it. Uh, and uh, I only bring this up, Jill, because to your point, I think that, you know, when Peter Jackson produces or gets behind somebody, um, I think it's really interesting as to what projects he decides to kind of give his full weight behind. Um, and that he just went, he went full tilt on Mortal Engines, God bless him, <laughs> and was there every day. I mean, I don't want to say Shadow directed it, but was a very sort of like steady hand there uh the film's directed by one of his uh weta people if i'm not mistaken one of the people that does special effects um or or you know below the line in some capacity with him in the past um it's just it is sort of fascinating when you're in his position of this sort of not just enormous wealth but just like enormous clout to be able to sort of move the needle in a real way um i think it's kind of fascinating and and that he's now decided to sort of put all of that behind these documentaries i think it's really interesting i must be so tired six <laughs> lord of the rings movies after i oh, i can yeah. totally see his pov yeah and the thing is when people were like when get back was about to come out people were like he's releasing a five-hour mm-hmm. beatles documentary does he know how to cut anything and it turned out he'd done a lot of editing and also that movie needed that length like yeah. The scene where they're just like, you need to see the genius happening out of just humdrum reality. The scene where Paul's just like, I'm going to write get back in five minutes is <laughs> has been like justly acclaimed, you know, for so for so many reasons. But it's because it emerges from that monotony. And I I'm glad he's making documentaries. I hope he makes another feature. I hope he just he's doing I another hope, Beatles doc, isn't he? Am I, I crazy? Think so get I back hope, to get backer getting back. I just hope I hope he finds some honestly Peter Jackson does seem like he's kind of motivated by IP that's in certain ways. I hope he finds some book he wants to adapt, some comic he wants to adapt. I hope he just goes whole hog or barring that I hope he somehow taps into the guy who made this and is like I'm going to make another zombie movie set in rural New Zealand. I'll go see it. I'll go see it right away. Yeah, and and I mean also uh, you know the 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 lack of success monetarily for mortal engines i would still love to see him do something like that again i would love to see him produce something like that i would love to see him get behind people and and use i mean district nine is a perfect example of you know he got behind that that movie's success in a lot of ways is hinged on you know peter jackson presents or whatever the case might be um i think i I mean i have my issues with district nine i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there but I, i i you know, he's just pick pick random, cool, awesome, small names that you want to turn into something. I, I don't know. I, I'm 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 a big proponent of that. I wonder if his clout has diminished to the point where it's hard to do that within the system, unless you're doing like the five million or less budget where you can right. get a deal with a Jason Blum or somebody who specifically produces movies like that. But and listen, Andy got burned on Mortal Engines. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen, PJ, make Mortal Engines too. You know that you know the world is crying out for it. It's a series, Mortal isn't it? It's a series Engine. of books. There's yeah, there's. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of books. And the thing about Mortal Engines is it's kind of as like people are like, did they put all three books in this? No, it's a serious adaptation of the first book. All that shit happens in the first book. (laughs) 
Yeah, there are um, three of them. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it cost $150 million and it made 83. So I don't think we're getting any more Mortal Engines. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, listen, Broadway musical. That's the only way to do it. Maybe am... Mortal Engines will be the next Dune and in 30 years time. Oh, uh, that's cool. Scrappy, I like that. Yeah, a scrappy young French Canadian will be able to helm <laughs> the definitive Mortal Engines adaptation. Incredible. I like where your head's at, Joe. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think though, um, in terms of Brain Dad and in terms of like what it launched him into, I do. I, I think that Heavenly Creatures, which if our listeners haven't seen it, go and watch it. Jill, have you seen Heavenly Creatures? I need to. My girl <laughs> Melvin Linsky's in it, so I know yeah. it's on the list. It's it's a tremendous movie. Her and Kate Winslet are absolutely unbelievable in it um it's a really i think it's a really beautiful movie emily i feel like have, you haven't seen it in a, i haven't seen it in a while but. um i've seen i haven't seen it in probably 10 years but i've seen it three or four times i think it's stunning i love that movie it might be my favorite of his it's a yeah. toss-up between that and fellowship so yeah yeah i i, I would agree as much fun as i as i have with uh, the frighteners and and i love the frighteners heavenly creatures shows I mean, Heavenly Creatures is the moment when I think he becomes legitimate as a filmmaker. These horror films feel like, you know, fun little what have you's. But I think, and I don't mean to be dismissive of Brain Dead because I loved it, but you know, sort of getting it. Peter Jackson yeah. regularly collaborates with a lot of women, particularly Fran Walsh. But he also, uh, once Philip Lloyd joins them yeah. on the um, on the, the movies, the Lord of the Rings movies, those yep. extremely mm-hmm. popular. But yeah, yes, they're, they're very popular. Uh, you know, he works with her a lot again. And what was unique about Heavenly Creatures is it really felt like he gave himself over to Fran Walsh's like idea, like portrayal of, of adolescence. Obviously, he's also a credited co-writer. I'm sure, sure he had a lot of say. But like there's so much about that movie that's specific to the teenage girl experience that like, I know she was putting in there and I think he's really good at collaboration and, and Peter come back to us, mortal engines too. let, let, let's do it. I, you know, the, the thing about heavenly creatures, which I actually think you can see, um, there's a lot of yellow jackets in there too. I feel like, um, in terms of, I, I I, I do want talking about, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) um the, the one day you spent in the uh listen no I, no listen jackets. listen melanie linsky is in both so that is that well, is I, true. i'm not trying to draw too many oh, yeah. you know correlations between that one thing but i do wonder first of all whether or not she's gravitated towards you know that experience i think that what the young girls the teenage girls are going through in yellow jackets is has some similarities i think the relationships anyway i think there is a thing within horror about teenage girls which includes yellow jackets and i'd say heavenly creatures that is very much about the ways that teenage girl friendships can turn into all-consuming black holes that end up (laughs) you know leading to some really dark places Uh um i think most of the femme people in my life um uh have that relationship from when they were 16 17 with another woman or or femme person and like that is so often like a thing you get kind of fixate on that you kind of gravitate toward now not all of us cannibalized each other but you know enough of us did metaphorically speaking of course sure 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 of course of course 
I, yeah, I mean, I, I'll be very interested to hear what you think of it, Joe, uh, if and when you watch it, because I, I do think that it's a real um, fulcrum point for Peter Jackson's career. And, and I think that um, I, I'll say this. I, I do think that technically, in terms of what he accomplishes and his below the line accomplish with the effects in, in Braindead, uh, unquestionably, are you're seeing them in... Just to give you a little bit of context, Jill, essentially, uh, Kate Winslet and, and Melanie Linsky um, visualize this fantasy world, essentially. And, and the fantasy world is these kind of claymation monster type things. Um, so I, I, you can definitely see the connection between those things. Um, it, it, it is really interesting. Um, I, I, I think it's a, a phenomenal film. And then, and then Frighteners is sort of the first time that he starts to actually dip his uh, toe into, into computer-generated effects. Um, and with some of the, the ghost effects and this amazing kind of black cloak that, that the kind of with the Sith uh, scythe that the character, the killer in that, it's all really cool shit. Um, yeah. Love yeah. Frighteners, is, Frighteners is fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Frighteners, Joe? No, no, I, I was, I'm right straight into the Lord of the Rings generation. So I had to go backwards for, for brain dead. Yeah. No, I, I would just, I, Heavenly Creatures and Frighteners, I would say definitely worth going back for i think you'd really enjoy them and i and i think you'll see a lot of corollaries to his to his earlier work especially with brain dead but um let's rate this film shall we um so basically on this podcast joe we rate the film from zero to 99 um zero being the worst 99 obviously being the highest 50 being generally speaking uh whether or not you would recommend this film um, I didn't see this film in 92, as I mentioned, this was the first time I saw it. And before this podcast, I was at an 87. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm sticking at 87. I, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. Um, we'll definitely go back and watch this again. Try to find a, a 4k Blu-ray of this movie. I believe is somewhere out in the world. So that's something, um, Emily just made a face. I don't know if I want to see this in 4k. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> had a great, had a great time. Don't want to see it in 4k. What about intestines in 4k? Sounds gross to you. I mean, yeah, what don't you really? Um, Poke. so we're, we're, <laughs> you poking pustules again. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Emily? Where are you on this? Uh, I'm going to do queer phobia scale first. Yes, I please. feel like, I feel like, uh, this movie is like a two like there's there's it's very much like again like i said it's about like repression it's about uh-huh. uh the things that we're too scared to admit so there is like a fun queer reading of this film which i, I was did. not expecting yeah, yeah. um i if you know if i if i really wanted to like elaborate on it i probably could i could write an article but i don't have to do that anymore um you write a sub stack i could write a i'm gonna i should write a sub stack i should just start a sub stack as queer readings of weird horror movies i could do it do it um i uh yeah uh it's a rating rating um i came in 72 i'm gonna go up to a 74 just because okay. i like you so much oh thanks. Both great. thanks uh jill where are you zero to 99 oh man uh, that's great to hear that uh, it's passing grades on brain dead. I feel like it's it's definitely high eighties for me, like at least like eighty five to to eighty eight. Like it's it's definitely uh, like ramshackle, but the the intelligence to it, the wit mm-hmm. to it, uh, the practical effects, uh, the full the foley artistry. There's so much great gurgling. I mean, that would have so been so gurgling. fun. Mouthwash for the greater good of horror. 
I, I find that uh, something that's been kicking around my mind, we've asked the question about why uh, brain dead isn't as revered. And I think also it's because whatever humor intersects with art, there's this idea that it's like slapstick pantomime, that it's inherently not as quote unquote good because it is fun or funny. And that really grinds my gears. Uh, humor can be done really uh, very intelligently, as we see throughout this movie. Uh, I think to Barbarian, the fellow mommy dearest terrorizing horror, and how humor is an undercurrent in that. And yet humor was also the basis of skepticism. A24 turned down Barbarian, uh, not willing to to get with those like shifts and not only tone, but time and i find that it heightens a work it heightens uh what you're able to do sometimes exaggerating something allows you to see the true horror of what's at the mm -hmm. surface which is uh, this overbearing parent child abusive codependent relationship that uh we see our, our dear boy lionel finally break free of as he casts away the the mystical symbol he didn't need all along it was all about his confidence and yeah. i'm so proud of lionel he's i mean he's he did he he's did like need Dumbo. to go back he did need to go back into the uterus first to defeat. this is true this, that's a step that we, we all have, have to take yeah <laughs> born I do, again are you talking you talking about barbarian made me realize that there are these like two kinds of horror about mothers and one is like the usually made by men i think that women have a very different relationship to stories about motherhood <laughs> for obvious reasons um the uh there is this kind of movie which is i am terrified of my mother and that she will shove me back in her womb but also i'm kind of interested in that that i had all my needs met there and then <laughs> barbarian is very much like i have had a child with my partner and she got pregnant and her body went berserk and i find that terrifying and like those two are always kind of intention i i, I love that <laughs> i love when men make movies about pregnancy and i sound like i'm joking they understand not. They really understand. They it. do. No, what I yeah. love about men making movies about about pregnancy and about motherhood is because is that they're always slightly terrified of it, and like I oh, think that that's yeah, that's, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Um. So next week on this podcast, we are covering a film, Jill, that I don't know if you've seen. Uh, it's called School Ties. Um, <laughs> it's uh, we've got Michael Hobbs coming on to talk about uh, boarding school anti-Semitism. Um, with Brendan Fraser and uh, baby versions of uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Every male Ties? actor of that generation. So. Yeah. Have you seen School Ties, like, Joe? No, but, but the fact that Brendan Fraser is in that, uh, it doesn't surprise me. He's popped up everywhere, like Kids in the Hall's Brain Candy, right in the 90s. Sure, 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 sure. I, I feel like everyone could sort of go back through their film oeuvre and be like, Oh yeah, Brendan Fraser was there. He's just like that constant cool guy that's in your class that you don't he, really talk to, but has a mystique. He definitely, I mean, had a big '92. Uh, Encino Man was his kind of coming out movie in a lot of ways, kind of made him a star. And then he had this film, and obviously, you know, the Mummy movies in uh, in the late '90s. And I mean, listen, big Brendan Fraser fan. Uh, Katie, my the, the previous co-host of this podcast, uh, said that uh, Brendan Fraser was going to win an Oscar back in 2018, and uh, he was right. Uh, Brendan Fraser won an Oscar last year. So the Brendan Fraser stock has never been higher. Never. And been I'm higher. 
I'm someone who saw Monkey Bone in theaters. So my wow. to Brendan Fraser through thick and thin through George of the Jungle to the Mummy Ride. You I, earlier said that you aren't a fan of Bones, and yet you saw Monkey Bone. Yeah, you saw Monkey Bone. See, a, a Monkey Bone or Funny Bone. I can make exceptions <laughs> for those two. It's just like a strict bone. I understand. Like, yeah, we yeah. can we can develop this more. Let's right. let's it. Let's discuss when when it's when it's not a funny bone. Uh, it is just it just doesn't work for you. Is that what you're saying? I mean, if I was Siskel and Ebert when Monkey Bone came out, I would have said, Monkey Bone, where's the funny bone? Ugh. Oh, seriously. That movie sucks. That movie's really Oh, bad. yeah. I can't is, believe. Is but but Brenda Fraser, yeah, I mean, had I, you know, did you see The Whale? I have avoided it as I avoid things that are saturated in discourse. I, I want to go through it on my own. And there's sure. some rightful criticisms about the, the Whale, but it's kind of like when everyone... This happened with the movie Inception when it came out. Everyone told me it was the greatest movie ever, but also all my friends were 18. So anything <laughs> anything loud and highly well, uh, well produced is the greatest movie ever right. at that age. And then sure. I was like, it was decent, but you sold me on on like a, a teenager high-fiving yeah. me, you know? Like, Rare. and I didn't get that <laughs> quite out of this experience. So with The Whale, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't have an interest in the whale so much as it is the fraser renaissance i am all about that yeah i am too not a fan of the whale emily you saw the whale didn't see the whale i was like the worst movie i saw last year i I didn't i didn't yeah but i hear we're buried far enough in the podcast i can say this because my mom will never hear this yeah she called me up and was like it's so powerful it's such a good movie and i was like "Mm, are we really (laughs) like i really i really issued from your loins like nothing about fat phobia is groundbreaking. That's not cinema. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. She Go was ahead. very overwhelmed by the like. It's about you know. I guess you could argue it's about the triumph of like one like life and all these things and like what's valuable in life and. Sure. Sadie Sink, I think she's given her all, but that's a truly disastrous character to have to play. Um, you can like. I just feel like when the writer of the play realized that the real that the title of Moby Dick is Moby Dick or the whale and he could write a thing about a Moby Dick scholar who also could be credibly called the whale he should have just quit that's like a that's like a premise for like a like a fucking family circus cartoon <laughs> well this has been our episode on <laughs> dead alive slash the whale um Jill thank you so so much for coming on and talking with us Thank you. Always good to hear from a fellow Torontonian. And Damn Emily, right. you'll get your fellow South Dakotan. <laughs> I know it. It's going to happen for me. Where, where can people <laughs> find you, Jill? Because they should be following you on various social media. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm at Jill Krajewski. And feel free to drop in the link in your description. Uh, at Jill Krajewski on Twitter, on Blue Sky. My website uh, is myself. Uh, yeah, come come follow me. I, I also love to make uh really silly memes on instagram it's my creative outlet it's my equivalent of george bush getting into painting all of a sudden now i just (laughs) slap things together in photoshop for the fun of it it's listen people should be following you if for nothing else your love of uh, all things succession um they should be following you on your you're absolutely wonderful and all these things they should be reading you as well obviously um they can find you obviously uh, as we mentioned up top in vulture and your magazine spin pitchfork what have you um thank you so much joe this was an absolute blast thank you thank you both uh this has been so much fun as fun <laughs> as sliding into your own mother <laughs>
I mean, we're not going to do better than that. But yes, I believe you. End of episode. No, end of episode. (laughs) We're done. Thank you so much, Joe. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.